So this morning, uh, before I introduce Mike and Cleet, uh, would you pray with me? And let's pray that the Lord would uh, continue to uh, create and plant and grow more churches so that more people might know Jesus. And multiplying, uh, maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious too, let's pray what that means for our church. Does that mean uh, planting more churches, planting a campus someday, multiplying our services? How, how do we multiply it so that more people meet Jesus Christ? Would you pray with me? Let's pray toward this end. Father, uh, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, uh, we're his church. He's the senior pastor. And we're under his leadership and his protection. And he gave us a clear command to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything you commanded. And, and Jesus, you promised as we do that to be with us. Jesus, you also told us to pray that you would send more and more workers out into the harvest field. So we pray for that today uh, in the form of churches that you uh, would raise up and plant and grow and nurture more and more churches, uh, especially uh, in North America where they're needed. Uh, even in our area, we think of Detroit as well as we hear from uh, Mike and Cleet this morning. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, not even just for the free church, but for churches that preach and teach the gospel in general, that uh, there would be more and more churches so that more and more people, Jesus, would meet you. Give us a passion for that. I pray for wisdom even and uh, uh, wisdom and vision as a church family for us. What does that mean? Would you ignite that in our hearts even today of uh, what it would look like to see uh, many more people from our community uh, come to know you, Jesus? You're our only hope. We're all saved by grace. Give us a passion and a heart to bring others along with us. So Lord, we lift this up to you. We know you're the one who does the work. We do what we can. You do the rest. And uh, we pray all of this then in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. I'm going to introduce, uh, first I'm going to introduce Cleet Bontrager. Cleet, why don't you join me on stage? And uh, Cleet and Mike, Mike Hanafee are here from uh, Restore Church in Detroit this morning. Uh, an E-Free Church uh, that was planted, how long ago was Restore planted? 2012. 2012. And uh, they've planted another church now in Detroit, and they're uh, training a guy to plant a third church in the suburbs of Detroit. And uh, Cleet, I'm just going to turn it over to you to tell the story of Restore, and then I'll let you introduce Mike. And I'm going to go sit with my wife because I never get to do that during a worship service. Sound good? All right, there you go. Thank you, Pastor Josh. It was great meeting him a few weeks ago in Detroit and just thankful for what God is doing in this area. I was born at Elkhart General, not too far from here, and you've probably never heard my last name, Bontrager. Um, my neighbor across the street says, oh, you're my little Amish boy in the hood of Detroit. And so how does a guy with the last name Bontrager end up in Detroit? Only God, only God. My dad was Amish, and uh, so I've got roots all over this area, got aunts, uncles, everybody, uh, from Kokomo on up to Shipshawana to Goshen, Elkhart, and this whole area. But pleased to be here today, thankful for what God is doing 
in this neck of the woods, so to speak. Um, In Acts, it says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at the time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These verses have been quoted many times at missions conferences. It's a church multiplication type places, and but a lot of them are focused on the ends of the earth, are they not? We do a really good job in America of sending missionaries overseas, but what about to Samaria? Maybe that place that in your area that a lot of people want to move out of but don't want to move into, and that is what Detroit is, a place that was 2 million people that now has around 600,000 people. A mass exodus, some people would say a brain drain has happened there. And I don't know if you've seen pictures, but quite a devastation in that city. But God called us in 2010, the Hanafi family and the Bontrager family out of Portland, Oregon for a new chapter in our life. And that was to move to the inner city of Detroit where you could buy a house for $500. Yes, I bought a house for $500, the one across the street for $800. How many of you can say you could do that here? Not even close. You couldn't even buy a shed, maybe an Amish shed you couldn't even buy for that, right? But God had us go there. So we made a trip early that year in February. Detroit looked devastated. Nobody was out. It was cold. We drove around going, was, I, was our psychologist right that we were crazy? Or should we really move here? And so God had us in Detroit by the end of that year living there. Spring of 2011, we started having cookouts at our house to where we had about 60 to 80 neighbors coming on Friday nights to our cookouts, just having a good time, getting to know the neighbors, getting to know the neighborhood. On Saturday, we put up these soccer nets on an old tennis court that was abandoned, and we would play indoor soccer on these tennis courts and then have Bible studies with the kids. We started vision casting meetings for people that had heard about us, that were interested in our homes. We started every other week services in our homes. One week that we didn't have a service, we visit a, another church in the area so that we could know the context of Detroit, but also to show we're not just about our kingdom, but we're about the betterment of Detroit. And the fourth Sunday, we would do a project in the neighborhood. We had a free garage sale. Don't ever do that. It was crazy. People were swarming, gathering stuff, getting mad at people that were trying to take their stuff. It was, we needed security. We did alley cleanups. We helped people, uh, older folks that needed help with their properties. We cleaned a park that had been virtually abandoned for years. And we had enough people coming by the time 2012 hit that we needed a place to meet. 
So we had started what we called discipleship groups, and we had three of them going, and those were in houses, but no house could hold the amount of people we had coming. So we cleaned a park, right? Why not meet in the park? And so that's what we did. We met in a park called Gordon Park where the 1967 riots actually started. By God's grace, that whole summer of 2012, it did not rain one time during our services. And you know how it loves to rain in upper Indiana and lower Michigan. It would rain right before the service started and right after the service ended every time, if it was to rain. We saw God use those times mightily in the formation of a church because we weren't in the four walls and our people understood that church is more than just a a time or a space to gather. But God provided in September a post office, an old abandoned post office that we could meet in. And you know what the cost of that was? $15,000. We could have sold stamps out of that post office because everything was in it. The bulletproof glass that the teller sat behind, everything, the desks, the safes, everything was in it, $15,000. So we bought it on a Friday, and this was the end of September. It was getting chilly. We started meeting there on a Sunday. It was a beautiful thing. We had a building now. Then we looked at the building and went, oh, my goodness, we have a building now. It needed so much work because it was a post office. But God really brought people along and churches to help us transform it. We still got a long way to go. It's, that was 2012. It's 2019. Seven years, we've got a little bit done. We have a lot done, but we need a lot more done. But we take it one chunk at a time because we're not in debt, thank God. Um, God has blessed us so many times along the way. He's brought Pastor Charles to our church, who uh, is one of our pastors now. He went through an internship with us. And uh, so now there's Pastor Mike, myself, and Pastor Charles. We have a man by the name of Nick Lee, who's in our Elder Apprentice program. He'll be one of our pastors uh, if God provides a, a clear path to that. He actually is running... Dexter Grinds. Now you say, what is Dexter Grinds? That is a coffee shop that three years ago was put in our neighborhood by some folks out of Kansas City that wanted to do ministry in Detroit. Well, about a year and a half ago, they called us and said, we are losing money. Well, no kidding. A coffee shop in the hood. Who would have thunk? And we need to either shut this down or sell it to you guys said, okay, how much do you owe on everything? They said, 15000 So guess what? We bought a coffee shop for $15,000. That $15,000 uh, comes up very often uh, when we talk about Restore Church. So now, Nick Lee, who's going through our elder apprenticeship, is running a coffee shop that has given us a lot of leeway, a lot of headway into the neighborhood We have a meeting space that we don't have a lot of that we can utilize that coffee shop. Our state rep has office hours in the coffee shop. So people in our area can now come and meet their their state representative. What a beautiful thing God has done in that. 
Pastor Josh mentioned that we have planted a church. Tyler St. Clair was one of our pastors for a couple years with the intent of going out and planting a church. He planted Cornerstone Church a few years ago. And the beautiful thing is we now have a granddaughter church because he has now planted a church in Southwest Detroit. And uh, it's awesome to see how God uses multiplication in ways we had no clue that God would plant this church in Southwest Detroit that quickly. But we also now have a church planting intern that is going to plant in Garden City in the name of, his name's Ovi. And it's going to be cool. An inner city church, hopefully planting a suburban church. Usually you hear it the other way around, but we want God to get the credit for it because only he could pull off something like that. Would you pray for us? I'm going to let Mike come and and, uh, bring the word of God. But would you pray for us in Detroit? We have had a wonderful nine years in Detroit. God has worked. We've seen salvations. We have seen people baptized. We have one lady who was, when we met her, on drugs, lived two houses away from that park where we started the church. And she heard a group singing. So she came out of her house and started joining our services. And we saw God do a miraculous work, sort of like the man on the video, in her life. We've seen those transformations, but we want to see more. And so would you pray for that? We will pray for you, that you will see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Mike, if you'd come. um, This is why he's bald and I have gray hair, because we're brothers in Christ, and I love this man dearly. But uh, let me pray for you as you deliver the word of God to us this morning. God, I pray for Pastor Mike here. God, that you would just bless him. May he step out of the way of your word, but proclaim it boldly. God, I pray that hearts would be changed to either love you more uh, or come to you for salvation, God. God, I pray that uh, you would bless this church, that you would bless Mike here this morning. In Jesus' name. better? There we go. Hey, good morning. Really, between what Pastor Cleet shared and that great video, I don't really have much to say. So, Josh, I'm not going to go to three o'clock. I'll go to one instead. Okay. All right. Um, we can fast forward to, uh, so let me, hey, let me do this. I want to take a picture of y'all just so I can share my church family. So what I want you to do is I want you to raise your hands. Everybody raise your hands. Yeah. Let me do one of those Long sideways shots. See, I knew you could raise your hands, okay? And now I can say I preach at a charismatic church. So (laughs) beautiful, beautiful. Um, Yeah, if you can fast forward, there's a picture of my family. I just want to show you that real quick. That's actually seven of my eight um, right there. Wife, Susan. Um, we, uh, We are obviously a large family. I am a church planter in the inner city, which means I have to stretch my dollars. So to stretch my dollars to take my wife out every so often, I, I met a gentleman named Mr. Groupon. And Mr. Groupon connected me 
you can move past those, okay? Because we're just going to get distracted. Um, let me go to the first slide. Yeah, to, to the very first one for the preaching part, that'd be great. Yeah, we'll just leave it there. That sounds great. Thank you. Um, so I've hung out with Mr. Groupon to take my wife out, and he put me on to a restaurant called Coach Insignia, better pronounced Coach Insignia, like Thurston Howell or something would, we would pronounce. Swanky place at the top of the Rensen. You ever heard of the Rensen? It's these glass towers on the waterfront of Detroit. Uh, this restaurant was on the 73rd floor. Incredible food. You only got like three bites. They put it on a strange-shaped plate to look like you got more. You had to go to McDonald's and eat seven cheeseburgers before you went. But uh, it was a great meal. Um, apart from the stunning view being seated across the table from me, my wife, I wish she was here to, to hear that. <laughs> um, one of the most incredible things about that meal on the 73rd floor of Coach Insignia is I was looking out the entire expanse of the great city of Detroit, 143 square miles. I was lifted above the, the, the vacant houses and the garbage-strewn corner lots and, and all the brokenness with all the beauty. I was lifted above it, and I could see with one fell swoop the entire expanse of the city. Grand River over here, Gratiot Avenue there, all across the city into the suburbs. And what I saw was the big picture of the city. And quite frankly, it was the first time I've ever seen the city in that way, though I'm from the area, and it was exhilarating. It gave me a deeper heart for the city. Well, I want us to just briefly climb the towering heights of Revelation chapter 5 as we had it read in Revelation chapter 7. Because in those towering heights, we see the big picture of what eternity is all about and what we should be about too. I just want to show you from this powerful text what eternity is all about and what we should be too. Eternity is about three things. Y'all with me? Because where we're from, people talk back when you preach. They might not even say what you like, but they're at least talking back, okay? So feel free to do that. Trust me, it's okay. Eternity, first of all, for you theological types, is doxological. In other words, eternity is about God being glorified. The word doxa is the New Testament word for praise, praiseworthy. We sing the doxology, doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. The Old Testament word for glory is the word kavod, which relates to the weightiness or the heaviness of something. And all I'm trying to say is, first of all, eternity is all about the weightiness, the glory of God being put on display. And there's just a few brushstrokes to communicate that in chapter 7. John writes that he saw a great multitude. I don't know if you've ever been in a great crowd, a stadium. Uh, I know this is a godly church because I saw a woman with a Michigan shirt somewhere around here. There you go. Yes. So 110,000, right? And then you've got that cult university down the road, Notre Dame. I don't know how many they seat there, right? But there's something weighty when you see everybody come together for a common purpose, right? And then it says they were standing, a great multitude that no one could number, but they're standing. Standing communicates respect. 
When I was in the Marine Corps, we were in the squad bay just cleaning our weapons, getting our stuff together. When a senior-ranking officer stepped on deck, the first person who saw that guy, what would they yell at the top of their lungs? Attention! Everybody snapped to attention. Why? Because of the weightiness, because of the authority of the respect of the person who just stepped into the squad bay. And then you see, what are they waving in their hands? You can read it. Palm branches. Maybe a, a modern equivalent would be like thunder sticks. You know at a ball game. I talk about sports a lot. I'm sorry. Palm branches communicate royalty. Do you remember Palm Sunday and victory? On top of that, they're not standing there just sort of mouthing words in the dark. No, what are they doing? They're shouting with a loud voice the same thing that we might do for uh, an iPhone release or a ball game or, or maybe a, a barn raising I, around here. Maybe that's what happens, right? <laughs> right? They, 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 there's, there's excitement. There's passion. But I just want to quickly dip back to chapter 4. More brushstrokes about eternity being doxological. If you were to go back to that chapter, you would find that there's a throne. And on that throne, the Almighty himself is seated. And then in front of the throne upon which the Almighty is seated, there are um, four living creatures. I'll come back to them, but there are 24 thrones. These elders, these beings, and they have these golden crowns. And then in chapter 4, it tells us that lightning and thunder is just shooting off everywhere. And it's not trying to communicate some little quaint little scene of being at grandma's farm and drinking some sweet tea under an oak tree during a rainstorm. No, 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 no. When the, old te- when the Bible talks about lightning and thunder, basically what it's trying to do is tap into the biggest display of power known to humanity at that time. It's like saying atomic bombs are going off everywhere. It's a fearful scene. And then you get to the praise band. This praise band, well, pretty much like praise bands today, frankly, are weird, okay, all right? You know, skinny jeans and all that that they wear. I didn't see any up on there, so are people wearing wool hats when it's 70 degrees out? Hey, okay. Um, well, this is kind of a weird praise band. They, they got six wings, and they got eyes everywhere. One's got the face of a lion, of an ox, of a man, and an eagle. And here's what's on heaven's top 40 list. They cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord who was and is and is to come. And I don't have time to develop this more other than to say, first of all, heaven is about God being glorified for his weightiness. In fact, if that's all we knew about God, that he is holy, 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 we would scratch our bald head and wonder, how in the world could I ever become near and dear to this eternal transcendent God? I mean, you touch a mountain when you're not supposed to, fry. You try and help him out and write that ark like Uzziah did, zapped. You bring strange fire up into his temple, boom, done, extinguished. Eternity is about God being glorified, and he is first of all holy. Now, the second thing I want us to see is eternity is soteriological, which is a fancy way of talking about salvation. Eternity, in other words, is about God being glorified for his salvation. If you belong to the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ and you are in glory, you are not going to look to another person and say, man, this joint is sweet. 
I love it up here. I don't know how I got here. Hey, how did you get here? Have no idea, but I love it up here. No, no, no. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Categorically, no. No. We are never, ever going to forget why it is we are privileged to be in the presence of the Almighty now and forever. We're never going to forget it. Revelation chapter 7 makes that clear when it says salvation. What is that? I used to say, before I became a Christian, I was like, what does it mean to be saved? Is something going to happen to me? Yes, yes. I deserve the righteous wrath of God. Because my life has been an offense outside of Christ to God. The Bible says all we like, like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Salvation, though it says, belongs to the Lord. Gonna, that's what we're going to be singing. That's another song on heaven's top 40 list. And then it says, unto the lamb. Y'all not to think of that cute little stuffed animal that your daughter might have at the end of her bed. When they heard lamb, what came to their mind was the Old Testament sacrificial system, right? Josephus, the ancient Jewish um, uh, historian, said that they would sacrifice so many lambs during the Passover season that the brook Kidron would run red with the runoff of, of, of the blood of the sacrificial lambs. Now, I want to go back to chapter 5 for this point to just a few more brushstrokes. In chapter 5, as we heard it read, there is a scroll. Basically, you might describe it as the title deed of the universe. And like many wills, they cannot actually be unleashed and executed until the person who wrote that will passes away. And thus, one of the elders says, who is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals? John begins to weep. Not because he's having a hallmark moment, all right? But because he knows the weight of this. And let me just say as a, as a side note to, to men here, a, a man that... N- is always crying, probably has some issues, but a man that never sheds a tear probably has some issues as well. John weeps over this situation. Then this angel swoops in and says, whoa, 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 do not cry, weep no more, for the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered and prevailed and is able to open that scroll. And so what we need to ask, well, what is it that he did to conquer to prevail so that he is able then to open the scroll, the title deed of the universe. And to me, verse 12 of chapter 5, maybe the most compelling scene you could ever see in your entire life. Standing before the throne upon, upon which the Almighty sits, and the four, that remember that crazy praise band, and the 24, boom! The spotlight sings, he saw, he swings, and he says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been what? Slain. Obviously, there's some, I don't, I don't know exactly how to explain this. I'm just telling you what the text says. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. What's the point? The point is this. He was slain, now he's standing. He's crucified, now he's risen. He was dead, but now he's alive. What I'm trying to tell you is we are never, ever going to get over why it is we are near and dear to the eternal transcendent God, namely the slaughter of his son, Revelation chapter 5, and his resurrection for his people. That's cool to me. That's powerful. That's going to forever fuel our praise of God. And by the way, it should fuel our praise of God right now. 
Eternity number one is doxological. It's about God being glorified. Number two, it's soteriological, about God being glorified for his salvation. Now, third of all, it is multicultural, about God being glorified for his salvation by all peoples. Now, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 could not make the point any plainer when it says people from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. And this is a, it's, a, it's a refrain that occurs some seven times in different forms throughout the book of Revelation. But do you know the word nation is the word ethnos in Greek? Does that sound like a word that you're familiar with? What word? Ethnicity. Yeah, do you get the point? Eternity is about God being glorified by people from every walk of life. And think about how beautiful it is, how beautiful that will be. The stunning variation in that Revelation 7, 9 eternal company. Think about the food. I'm a foodie. Think about all the great foods they're going to have. I'm, I'm, man, I'm going to come to all the potlucks. It's going to be incredible. God's tapestry, listen to me, is not some dull, monochromatic, industrial carpet. If you ever worked at a factory, you know what I'm talking about. The vendor comes on Monday and gets another carpet and all that. No, no, this is a beautiful mosaic that God is knitting. And that mosaic has been is being woven together on the loom of God's intentionality and sacrifice. Intentionality. Again, that one expression says salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our Lord. In other words, God is the complete author of salvation. Everything. If you're in Christ, it's because the Father chose you before the foundation of the world. Long before you were a glimmer in your great, 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 keep on going back granddaddy's eye. Jesus came and secured your redemption by the shedding of his blood on the cross and his resurrection and the spirit brought you in. I I love to put it this way. The father sought you, the son bought you, and by the spirit you are caught and brought home. This was intentional. Doesn't Jonah say salvation belongs to the Lord? Isn't that beautiful? The only thing that I that I brought to the salvation equation was the sin that required it. It's all God. It's all God. And it's intentional and it's sacrificial. And I know I've already made this point, but I just, I just want to, I just really want to emphasize this point. He says in Revelation chapter five, verse nine, for you were slain. It's a strong, that's like a, uh, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? That's just a strong word, right? Sacrifice, slain. It's not a pretty word. For you were slain, and by your blood you purchased for God people from every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. Eternity is about God being glorified for his salvation by all peoples. Y'all with me on that? Now let's put some shoe leather on this, okay? Let's bring it down. Jesus wants that. Now. Actually, this is part of one of the songs we sang, this line. This is called the Lord's Prayer, better called the disciples' prayer because they were asking him how to pray. He didn't give this to them as a formula, but as a model, right? And he's told them that we should pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what's it like in heaven? We just went through that. 
God being glorified for his salvation by all peoples. And Jesus gave us some pretty clear marching orders. You don't need no Greek to understand the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. And and, and the the verse that Pastor Cleet read just really clarifies it. Acts chapter one, verse eight. He told them that you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it was very, very clear. And, and you go to the book of Acts, which people make fun of me for how often in my sermons, even when I'm not preaching on Acts, I refer to Acts. It's just such a powerful book. What you find in the book of Acts is that the gospel crosses so many different barriers, linguistic barriers, cultural barriers, religious barriers, age barriers, economic barriers, race barriers, tons of barriers. Like John Stott said in his great commentary on the book of Acts, what began in the Jewish capital of the world, capital of the world, Jerusalem, ends with the gospel going to the pagan capital of the world at that time, Rome. Now here's how it happened. There are two kinds of churches, you might say, two church models. The first church model is the Jerusalem model. Now, do you remember what happened at Pentecost? They had a pretty good launch day, I would say. Yeah, yeah, you know, 3,000. Okay. Like, I don't have, anybody ever been part of a church that launched with 3,000? That's pretty cool. Now, God had told them, based on Acts chapter 1, verse 8, don't hunker down, right? But move out. Did he not? Don't hunker down, but move out. But what happened? Well, I mean, come on. They had a great launch day. You had a launch day like that? So, you know, there was staffing needs to fill, and there was a building program. And, man, we got a want of the staff. And there's men's and women's ministries. And what happened, what I'm just kind of saying tongue-in-cheek is, the church of Jerusalem did not move out. It became more about, there was no urgency for mission. There was complacency with the status quo and what God had already done. But God never intended for us just to reach within. We are to reach within. We are to care for ourselves. We're the body. We're the family of God. But he never intended for us just to reach in, but ultimately to reach in so that we can more strong, in a stronger way, reach out. He had never intended for us to become a wax museum where we just look to the past. Now, we need to celebrate the past and build those Ebenezers, those rock of remembrances. But he really wants us to look to the future. Well, Jerusalem, they didn't do that. Now, God is never the author of sin, right? But God is absolutely sovereign over everything. He says, I'm the God who declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my will. We just saying that nothing can stop God. So God reaches into his arsenal of sovereignty and he pulls out one of those old school pineapple grenades and grabs the cotter pin in his teeth and pulls it out and throws that persecution grenade right into the church of Jerusalem. What happens? That's, that's exactly the words. It says they scattered. And as they scattered, what scattered with them? The gospel did. 
Now you march on down to the church at Antioch. Now this is crazy. They did not have a church growth consultant on retainer. They didn't even have a Twitter account. How did they even do anything? No social media, no resources, nothing. But by conservative estimates, the church at Antioch was responsible for planning between 20 and 25 churches with impact to this very day. In a sense, we can all trace our spiritual lineage to that church planting movement that started out of Antioch. And I think, I think the Lord, when he sees a church and a movement that is willing to hold resources and people loosely for the sake of multiplication, I think he says, now that's a church I really want to invest in. And he gives some more resources and some more people. What kind of church would you say that, I hope I say it right, Wawasi? Yeah, okay, all right, good. I had, I had some training on that. Um, is I, Man, just, just hanging out with Josh, it became clear to me that this church has an Antioch heart. And I just started looking around your website, and I love, I love your your um your values, man. Those values, all all about all those values. It's all about Jesus. That's why we exist to spread the saving fame of Jesus, right? God wrote it all down. We're people of the book. We're people of the book, even though it's not culturally popular or palatable. What God says is true. That all people matter, not people that just you know root for my same football team. I I I, I fight that in my spirit. Okay, all right. Um, I mean, but seriously, all people, right? They all, all people really matter. Um, we, we all need friends. I mean, God is about people. It's like the guy said, I love ministry. It's just not people I'm into. Like what? You know, ministry is about people. It's about reaching people for Jesus and no sacred cows because here's the deal. What happens is um, we let sacred cows get in the way from reaching out. Now, and this happened in the Bible. You remember in Acts chapter 10? And with this, I end because I'm going hunting tonight. I'm really excited, bow hunting, okay? And this is a, honey, this is a hunter's favorite passage. You remember when uh, the angel said to, um, or Jesus said rather, to Peter, rise, kill, and eat? Like that's the greatest verse in the entire scripture, right? Okay, at least this time of year. And what did Peter say? I can't do that. Right? And, and he actually had some biblical warrant because under the old covenant, which Jesus fulfilled, there were kosher and non-kosher foods. And he really had to go strong with him, right? And then they had, they had to go strong with the church at Jerusalem to let them know, hey, those old covenant walls, which are getting in the way of reaching Gentiles, they had their place and time in the story of God, but now they've passed away. They're obsolete. And my point from that is if a church that actually had walls that had biblical warrant, the old covenant, were slow to drop those walls, how much more should we be aware of letting walls creep up over time that maybe don't have biblical warrant? I'm not talking about compromise. Hey, what the book says, what the book says. But we have to distinguish between traditionalism, and traditionalism is not bad unless it gets in the way of the truth, and biblicism. What I know Josh's heart 
And I'm getting a sense for your heart to make a difference. I'm hearing about people from different walks of life in this area coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And I just want to pray now that God will do nothing but put the pedal to the metal and pour some high-octane gospel fuel in your furnaces. Amen? Father, it has been a joy and privilege to share the word this morning. Lord, we thank you that we are going to forever glorify you for saving us and to do so in an amazing company, a grand mosaic of people from every nation.